0: Hey, thanks to Rick and Monica for making that uh, welcome video for us. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. And I again would like to thank you for joining us live this morning on Palm Sunday. And um, I want to show you this morning a pillow. I've been showing you uh, something different every week. Pillows are, of course, for sleeping. They're for throwing at your siblings, for hitting someone in a pillow fight. When I was a kid, my mom told me a story that uh, changed my a perception of pillows. Uh, my mom was a nurse for forty years, and when she was in nursing school, when she was uh, in her late teens, um, it was a trying time for her. She was going through a lot of changes. Um, her Her boyfriend, who was my dad, at the th- and who would be her future husband, was like five hundred miles away at college somewhere else, and she had a lot of long, hard nights. And she said that what she would do to get through it is she would take a pillow and she would scream into the pillow. And let out all of her frustration and sadness. And she was sometimes crying to her pillow. So I learned from that that pillows aren't just for sleeping. They're also for screaming. They're also for crying. They're a silencer for pain. Sometimes a pillow is all you need to feel better. But sometimes it's not. So what do you do with your grief? There are a lot of ways that people handle grief today. Um, Many people are on medication and meditation can help. Others try to bury their grief. They hide from it. They, they talk themselves out of it. They, they try to convince themselves that everything's going to be okay. And other people like to dump their grief. They'll sometimes dump their grief on, on their friends or their family. Sometimes people will dump their grief on social media, and that can make people feel better as well. You know, the truth is that when we're lonely— our grief, whatever grief that is hiding in our heart can come to the surface and it can feel overwhelming. And loneliness is a major problem right now because we are being um, told to stay in our homes, to, to, to socially distance ourselves and to isolate ourselves. And that can just make things worse. The New York Times reported in 2018 on a study that was done that said that loneliness can cause more health problems than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of elderly people who have not even had a conversation with a friend or relative in a month. And if we're learning anything right now during this unique season in our, in our culture, it's that isolation is not good for our mental or physical health. The good news is that loneliness is a choice. So what do you do when you feel alone? Uh, This morning, we're going to look at a very unique passage of Scripture. When I'm done reading this passage, you're going to wonder how this even made it into the Bible, I think. And it's from Psalm 88. Before we read from Psalm 88 this morning, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, as a church we can be together this morning, even if not physically, we we can we can be together. We can come under the authority of your word. We can worship together and we can be built up in our faith. I pray, Father, for anyone who's struggling with sadness or loneliness today, that you would speak to their hearts, that your Spirit would minister to them and, and give them comfort and peace. We pray, Father, that you would give us understanding of your word today, and that we would be changed over the next 45 minutes together. We we thank you, God, for who you are, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to remind you to stick, stick around. Um, when I'm done uh, t- um, talking today, uh, Mark and Lindy have prepared a special worship video for us to watch. I encourage you to stick around for that. It's coming up pretty soon. But right now, we're going to read from Psalm chapter 88. Uh, I'd like you to follow along with me if you have your Bibles at home. Otherwise, you can just watch the screen. Here's what we read. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you day by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer, listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions. And darkness is my closest friend." Now, can you believe that that chapter is even in the Bible? I don't know if you've ever read that chapter before. You've probably never heard a sermon on it. If you were to Google Joel Osteen, Psalm 88, there would be no results. Okay, this sermon is not being preached by a lot of preachers because it, it doesn't preach. It's not something a lot of people want to hear. It's, it's not super encouraging. It's not full of cries of victory and overcoming. And yet this psalm is for us. We need this today. In the 1987 classic, The Princess Bride, Wesley said, Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. The Bible is not selling something. The Bible is incredibly realistic about life. It tells us that you can do what's right, you can trust in God, you can stay the course, and still experience tremendous pain and suffering. In fact, last week we heard Jesus say that in this world, you will have trouble. So if the Bible were a movie, like let's say someone decided to create an an epic two-hour or three-hour movie to tell the story of God, the story of Jesus, which I'm sure has been done before, but if they wanted to be consistent with the story, the producers would have to wrestle with what kind of rating they wanted, because there's some really dark scenes in the Bible, In my opinion, if they wanted to make a movie that was an authentic representation of the Bible, it would be rated R. There would be a lot of dark scenes. Much too dark for some of you. You would not like parts of that movie. Some of you would prefer a more positive movie, a more positive reflection of God and of life. But Psalm 88 is one of those dark scenes. And Psalm 88 is not like some radical departure from the biblical narrative. In fact, if you were to take the entirety of, of the Psalms which is 150 poems or songs that were written by ordinary people like us to God as as prayers as expressions of faith as expressions of sorrow as expressions of victory at times as expressions of praise the song the Psalms are categorized and the largest category of all the Psalms is laments a, a lament is a a cry for help. It's someone who is crying out to God from a heart that's weighed down by grief and and sorrow and defeat. And that makes up the largest category of the Psalms. It makes up one third of all the Psalms. There are more Psalms of lament than Psalms of praise or thanksgiving or victory or celebration. And so this person is crying out to God from a heart that's weighed down by grief. They're basically saying, God, you've never been there for me. God, darkness is a better friend than you are. You've done nothing but reject me and turn away from me. I've been terrorized by you. I've been near death since I was a kid. Now, if you think about the things that this person is saying to God, it sounds a bit like they're exaggerating, and they probably are. They probably are exaggerating, but this is how they feel, and and that's how that's how humans talk sometimes. We when we are. Super sad or angry or, or or overcome by emotions of despair, we talk out of that pain and, and it sometimes doesn 't reflect what 's real and and that 's okay that 's what this writer of this psalm is doing he is he 's letting God know how he really feels and, and we do that in our family even my, my, I do this with my kids, they do it with me I sometimes say to one of my kids, "You are always the last one out of the house or how, why do you always do this to me? And then they'll say to me, uh, you, don't, you never let me do anything fun. Or you are the worst sister ever. You know how kids talk sometimes when they're, when they're feeling all that emotion. Um, and, and we do that in our families. We do it at home. We do it when we get upset. We speak from our pain. We speak from our hurt. And we exaggerate the truth. And I want to tell you this morning that that is biblical. Biblical. That is how a lot of biblical authors express their deepest emotions. This author is describing how he's feeling more than he's describing what's real. One uh, Old Testament scholar named Derek Kidner points out that God put prayers like this in his word to show us that he understands what's in our hearts. He understands our fears. He understands our sorrows. He, He knows us. He knows our tears. And he didn't edit this prayer out of his eternal word. He didn't read the psalm and say, no, no, that's too dark. That's too raw. No, he left it in. He left it, and it's kind of like Pastor Scott's uh, and Hannah, they did that uh, encouraging video for us last week, and they left in some of the distracting stuff, some of the hard stuff, uh, some of the real-to-life things that happen when you're trying to make a video for everyone at church, right? Um, And I appreciate that they left some of that stuff in because it just made it more believable. And I know you guys did too. And so this is really important. I don't want you to miss this. This psalm shows us that if you are feeling despair and fear, your feelings do not have to be justified for God to hear you. The the feelings that represent our genuine pain that we feel, regardless of whether we're feeling the regardless of whether we should feel that way. You know how we, we sometimes when we're talking to someone who is struggling with deep pain and hurt, we sometimes feel like They shouldn't feel that way. And we might even tell them, well, you shouldn't feel that way. It's not really that bad. It's going to get better. But um, phrases like that don't really help someone get out of a pit. They don't really help someone stop feeling the way that they feel. And this person who wrote this psalm, they don't have much hope. But what they do have is faith. And I know that they have faith because this psalm shows us that faith can be expressed even when that faith doesn't claim victory and and doesn't cling to any kind of hope even when that faith finishes praying and they get up and they feel the same they don't feel any better they don't feel like god has heard them or answered them and yet he still brings his prayer back to god day after day after day so you might be wondering who wrote this psalm who is this person and and sometimes when we when we learn a little bit about the author behind the the writing it gives us a little more insight into what God has for us the The man who wrote this his name was heman uh, that 's one word we 're not talking about he man, the the most powerful man in the universe, the defender of the secrets of the castle gray skull that 's a totally different guy. This is Heman the Ezraite, the grandson of Samuel the prophet, who's the, also the great grandson of course of Hannah. And his nickname was the singer. He's mentioned in a couple of the historical books. He was known for his wisdom. He was actually King David's worship leader who served in the temple. That was, that was his job, was to lead worship in the temple during the reign of King David. So he is a musician by trade. Um, he, he's the guy who wrote this. And I, and I want you to point this out to you, if you didn't know this already. Some of the world's greatest literature and art— was created by people who suffered from severe depression. That's just something we know. Uh, Authors like William Blake, Mark Twain, Joseph Conrad, Kurt Cobain, Ian Curtis, Fyodor Dostoevsky, Vincent Van Gogh, Ernest Hemingway, Beyonce, Michelangelo, Frederick Nietzsche, Edgar Allan Poe, Jackson Pollock, Kurt Vonnegut, David Foster Wallace, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. All of them uh, suffered from mental illness. And Heman is a guy that we could put into that category. Here's a man who, he loves God, he comes from a godly heritage. He's trusting God, but he also struggles and suffers from severe bouts of depression. And this is amazing to me that the God of the universe wrote a book for us, to show us what he's like, to tell us how to know him, how to have life. And he chose a guy like Heman to help him write the Bible. He chose Heman to express his thoughts to us and to show us how to relate to him. Why would God choose a man like that? Because God understands us. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows that humans have the capacity to to suffer from deep depression deep anguish and, and and in inward inner despair so here's a person who feels they feel stuck in the depths of depression there's almost no hope at all in this psalm except for the first verse which calls god the god of my salvation and then he goes on to say he, he feels abandoned by God. He feels cut off from his friends and family. He feels like death is in the air. It's, it's getting closer to me. He feels forgotten. Many of us are struggling with the feeling of being forgotten right now because we can't be together with those people that we know and love. It, it feels like we're being forced to separate from the people who, who normally acknowledge us and make us feel uh, uh, accepted and appreciated. But now it feels like everyone's moved on. It feels like we've all been replaced, like we're expendable. That's kind of what it feels like to feel forgotten. Have any of you been feeling that lately? Just feeling like like you're expendable, like you've been replaced with some other reality? It's a, it's, it's a terrible feeling. And there's one verse in particular in the psalm I want to point out. In verse 8, this is what the author says, You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them, I am in a trap with no way of escape. Think about that for a minute. That particular verse has led many commentators to point out that this is someone who in particular is suffering from an infectious disease. He, maybe he, he, had, he was dying of leprosy or something else. Something so repulsive that even his closest friends were staying away from him. Nobody wanted to come near him. He was all alone, and his, his next closest friend was death. The writer is feeling trapped with no escape. And I, th- there's something we need to remember. There was someone else, someone else in the Bible who, who we would read about hundreds of years later who felt trapped with no escape. And it was Jesus. On the night Jesus. His last night on earth, <laughs> before his crucifixion, he, he left with his disciples from the upper room. They crossed the Kidron Valley into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus took with him his, cl- his three closest friends, his three closest followers, Peter, James, and John, into the garden to pray, and he asked them to keep watch with him. And as Jesus is crying out to God, he is crying out a prayer of lament. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 14. In verse 34, he said, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And just a few verses later, Mark said that then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. Jesus' closest friends and followers deserted him. He was abandoned by his closest friends. Jesus was in despair On the night before his crucifixion, he felt trapped. He felt like there was no way out. He asked God for a way out. And this was something that God said was going to happen through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, we read about the kind of man Jesus was going to be. And this is what the writer of Isaiah tells us. In chapter 53, beginning in verse 3, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Now, these verses force us to ask a very important question. And that question is, what did the anguish and pain of Jesus accomplish? It it says in verse 11 that, When Jesus sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. What will make Jesus satisfied? Why did Jesus stand his ground? And the reason is because Jesus was about to rescue people from darkness. He was going to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness and transfer them to God's kingdom, to the kingdom of light. He was about to set free countless sinners from the guilt and shame that their sin caused Never again would they stand under God's judgment because Jesus was about to drink from the cup of God's wrath until it was completely dry. Never again would they have to be afraid of God punishing them. Never again would they be held under, held captive by their sin or held under condemnation because of their sin. What Jesus was about to do was he was about to bring lost sinners all the way home to the Father where they would have peace and life forever. That's, that's what Jesus' mission was, to seek and save the lost, to rescue sinners and make them righteous, to make them whole, to heal them, to set them free. And Jesus knew that that's what God had sent him to do. He knew that death was the way he would deliver all the people of God from, from the bondage of sin, and the next morning, that's what, that's what he did. And, and what we need to see from, you know, shifting back to Psalm 88 one more time, what, what I want you to see from this very dark passage, chapter in the Bible today, is that even though this depressed man does not feel God's presence, he doesn't let go. He never lets go. In verse 13, he says, Oh Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. This is a person who refuses to let go of God no matter how bad it gets. God wants us to know that when we trust him and when we follow Jesus, not every day is going to be a good day. Not every outcome is going to be what we hoped for. You know, last week we saw that Everyone is exposed to the seasons. Everyone, everyone goes through hard times. Right now, everyone is affected by what's going on in the world. But every season can be fruitful. Even though not every season is fun, every season can be fruitful. But there will be times of distress and even despair. Despair. As you follow Jesus, there are people who think that if you're following God, you should never struggle with addiction. You should never struggle with depression. You should never struggle with anger or bitterness or fear. But the Psalms teach us that even the most devout followers of God are prone to all of those things. And in their darkest moment, God is there. He is the God of our salvation. He is the God who hears us. He is the God who saves I was reminded this morning of something Jesus said. Something Jesus said that, that, that caused me to put my trust in him for the first time. In Matthew chapter 11, I better just turn there quick. In, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gave an amazing invitation to his listeners. And I want you to hear this today from the mouth of Jesus before we close. Jesus said in verse 28, come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And I want you to know something today, friends. The reason Jesus can take your burden on himself is because he went through it. He went through the grief, he went through the crushing grief that any of us would have would have been pulverized by. He went through all of it. He went through the pain of the cross. He went through abandonment by his own father so that we could be brought into the father's family, into the father's house, so that we could be whole. Only Jesus can take that burden from you. It's good to have close friends. Even Jesus turned to his friends in his darkest moment. He, he asked his friends for support, and in the end, they deserted him. Only Jesus can take that burden from you, ultimately. Only Jesus can take your, your pain and turn it into praise. So every week we've been talking about love and action. Well, what should we do because of this Because of this word from God? what is? What are some things that we can do? And I want to offer you a couple things this morning. One of the things we can do is we can keep praying. Every single week we've been asking you to pray, and I don't think we're going to stop doing that because prayer is the most powerful and effective thing that we can be doing during this crisis. Uh, yesterday, the Gospel Coalition, which is... Um, the Gospel Coalition is something we love. We love the Gospel Coalition. We love their content. We love their conferences, and um, we're part of that that uh, broader network. And we joined them in a day of national prayer and fasting. And um, I was able to connect yesterday, and some of you were as well. As 4,500 people from around the country joined together for prayer uh, at 6 p.m. yesterday for a, for a full hour. And some great Christian leaders led us through that time of prayer and worship last night, and it was it was. Very encouraging for me just to join that many people who are turning to God, turning to Christ for help during this very difficult time. And that's something we can continually do day after day after day. Keep going to God, even when you're tired, even when you feel like he's not there, to never let go, to keep going to God. And, and not let go. Bring your fears to God. Bring your tears to God. He is the only one who can redeem our pain. And that's what God does. He gives our pain a purpose. One thing, uh, John Erickson Tata wrote a book called um, When God Weeps. It's an awesome book that just talks about how God gives meaning to our suffering. And in that book, she said, The greatest good suffering can do for me is increase my capacity for God. Then he, like a spring, is free to flow through me. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. That's what we talked about last week. And that's, that's how pain connects with that. It increases our capacity for God. So don't give up. Don't let go. Keep going to God in prayer every single day. And one more thing I want to ask you to do this week. This is really important. I want to ask you to give yourself to someone this week, I know you've been uh, serving your families. If you're if you're part of a family, uh, if you're married, you've been serving your spouse every single day. You've been learning how to how to tolerate each other, how to build each other up, how to sustain one another during this time. But there's a lot of people who are kind of on their own during this time as well. There's a lot of older people who are struggling with fear. There's a lot of single people who are feeling isolated right now, and it's really important for us to offer ourselves to them and to simply listen. Not to offer them platitudes, not to tell them everything's going to be okay, but for those people who are really struggling with sadness right now and grief and isolation and loneliness, to simply offer our presence. That's something we call the ministry of presence. To call someone up, to FaceTime them, to get on a Zoom call with them or whatever, and just to ask how they're doing. Hey, what was your day like this last week? Is there anything that's encouraged you this last week? Is there anything that's made you afraid this last week? Is there anything you're worried about? You know, what are you trusting God for? And just, just listen to them. Just be there for them. Just, just let them know that they are not alone. That's, that's one way that we can empathize with people is to simply give, give ourselves. Give ourselves to them, get to know them better. And I believe that God will use that to strengthen us during this very <laughs> unique season of our lives. Please join me in prayer. Father, be with us in our trouble. Be near us when we are brokenhearted. Give us the strength to not turn back. Give us a vision of the joy awaiting us, God, when all of our pain and sadness and tears will be wiped away as we see Jesus, our Savior, return to bring us home. And God, give us friends we can turn to when we're sad. And help us, Lord, to stay awake, to watch and pray with our friends. And we ask you, God, that you would continue to build your church and grow your kingdom and make us the kind of church where it's okay to not be okay, Make us a church where people find healing and hope. We thank you for being with us today, God, and for speaking to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.